Alrighty, y'all. What's going on? Sean here. Fucking 7 a.m. On the last. Last Wednesday of the month, January 2019. Um, that's that Mercury Day, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, weird. It's a weird. Sun's just coming up. It's a, it's an unusual time for me to be podcasting. Well, actually, not that unusual. I used to always do that sun up, that sun up intro to the pod. But I was just talking to somebody about one of the pods. I was talking to my older sister. I don't know why I'm being cryptic. She called me about uh, the motherhood pod I did a few weeks back. And uh, she was just saying how good the sound was. And um, Yeah, she was commenting on how good the sound, sound was. And I was just thinking about it. And out when I was back in LA then Santa Monica a lot of those residential neighborhoods in Santa Monica they're just so uh, so quiet not many cars and then compared to the first pot I did back in Philly wow this dude just parked sideways in the parking lot out back in the alley behind my spot walking right now it's fucking cold man I got layers I got two I got long johns I got the fucking uh, 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 to, to the the upper body long john, you know what I mean? The, the thermal, uh, parka, the gloves. Got some gloves on. Got the the neck mask in my pocket in case I need that. That could obstruct, you know, the the talking. What was I saying? Yeah, it's so noisy. Philly's so noisy. Every every street. I was also recording like 4 p.m. trying to beat the sun down, but I, this is my this is my middle ground recording. I don't want to do the night pods anymore. I, you know, sometimes I still can't sleep. I haven't. Oh man, it's beautiful right now. I haven't you know perfected the. I haven't honed the sleep schedule just yet, but sometimes when at nighttime, you know, the thoughts get too crazy, incoherent. That's another thing my sister said. I don't think she really listens to the podcast, but she just. I was talking to her about the Motherhood podcast ever since uh, uh, Sheila Hetty emailed me about it, hit me up about it. I was thinking like, oh, that'd be a good thing to talk about on the pod. It's like, you know, fan emails. <laughs> it's not a fan email because I'm a fan of Sheila Hetty. But it was pretty cool that she emailed me and we've been emailing back and forth. But I don't know if I want to read it on the pod. It feels a little like it invasion of her privacy because it's like kind of no it's not like it's a it's a really personal email but it's you know it's i probably have to ask her about that but anyway i was talking to her about that and she was saying that i sounded uh unusually uh lucid you know what i mean so i think that had to do with being up in the daytime back then exercising and shit you know I'm trying to keep that daytime vibe going, but I just got to pick a quiet time, so, anyway, rambling, so this, this week's book, just trash ever, I'm just stepping on trash, might just be trash in Philly in this, no, I'm just kidding, I love you Philly, but, so, Otessa Moshfake, Otessa Moshfake, my year of rest and relaxation, this is a pretty, you know, Pretty uh, apropos premise and novel in general. I feel like my past year has been a year of rest and relaxation. Maybe not re- relaxation or really rest. Maybe restlessness. My year of restlessness and frantic energy, but resulting in in similar similar life pattern as the protagonist of Tessa Moshvegs. I don't know if I'm saying Moshvegs Moshveg right. I never heard anyone say it out loud, but similar similar life pattern to the protagonist of my year of rest and relaxation. Um, intense, intense self-medication um, and the desire to sleep as much as possible, whether metaphorically or literally, to block out the world due to unaddressed 
uh, traumas. Unaddressed um, feelings. Um, yeah, but, but, so yeah, except the distinction is the protagonist, uh, recent the protagonist of my year in rest and relaxation, first person protagonist, recent uh, Columbia grad. Uh, I was actually doing the math. I think, I think it said she was like, she graduated from Columbia. I was gonna fact check all this stuff, and I was like, nah. I, I, you look it up later. But I think it's that she she graduated from uh, set in 2000. Set in 2000. Interesting. Uh, one of those get to that point now. We're almost at 2020, so that's like two decades ago. You look at the thousands as like a as like a you know bygone era we could reflect on historically or what have you. But um. So I think it's that she graduated in, uh, from Columbia for undergrad in like 95. There's a part where it talks about the history of the place she lives in. And then she worked at, uh, she worked at this uh, art, uh, art gallery called Ducatte. Probably fictional, but um, uh, for a couple years and then and then ever since maybe 98, 99, she's been uh, on that year, uh, just self-medicating. So that's the premise. It's just his character, uh, very bummed out. Both parents are dead. Dad of cancer, mom of suicide. Um, she's got a, she's got the trust fund for life. Every episode I go through this. Who the, are people listening to this who haven't read the book? You know, actually, no. My sister listened to the Motherhood episode. I don't think anyone's listening to this, so it's all good. But I'm going to do the quick synopsis. Um, got the trust fund for life. No no financial, you know, um, uh, worries. Got the parental home upstate. That's just, that's just still in her. She inherited still raking in the the income, the money. Parts ways with their job due to just uh, uh, sleeping all the time, starting to take these sedatives all the time. Um, and she's just not a huge fan of the of the of the art world. Um, she just kind of paints this real superficial picture. These rich people, you know, uh, of these artists generating hype so they can get rich people to give them money. Um, but yeah, I was doing the math. All right, sorry, I, I was smoking a cig to get my mind right, but I just put that out, so now be uh, no interruptions. But um. She, she, this character is probably about the same age as me. So, as you can already tell, I'm already putting my my uh, myself in this character's shoes. That was the angle. I had known about Tessa Moshfe. I heard about her, you know, a year back. I read some of her stories online. I was like, this this writer looks like she's not fucking around. Looks like she's really going in. I, you know, I'd be interested. You know, I, I brought to my attention. Then I saw this book. Uh, I actually read a review of it in the New York Review of Books by Joyce Carol Oates, and it seemed—it just seemed very interesting. I was like, "Oh, that sounds kind of like hyperbole of my life—the self-medication and the sleeping, um, and just the desire to block out the world." Um, so yeah, I just took a gander at it. Uh, got got it in the mail on. Um, Last week, last uh, last one, last Wednesday or Thursday, I think Thursday, and I just I just went into you know similar to the protagonist hibernation mode, rail through that, finished it on Saturday or Sunday. Um, 
about 350 pages, but pretty large print. Um, yeah, so that was my angle. I was like, why would a character want to completely sedate themselves? Beyond the obvious reasons, why would this character want to completely sedate themselves and hide from the world, hibernate from the world? Um, and does she find a way out of it? Those are my questions going in. I don't think I'm still in that mode. Well, I'm literally not in that mode because I'm not self-prescribing with any drugs. Um, but, um, yeah. But, uh, so that's my angle going in. Um, fuck, this would be a problem. I'm trying to I'm trying to read my notes. Look, already these buses are coming. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to be on. I'm actually walking to the dentist right now. I'm about to get a cap on root canal um, so I give myself an hour I don't know if I'm going to stay out in the cold for an hour but um, we'll see what's good um, yeah so general review stuff it's, fuck man this intersection is just too loud shift in their life. I think I think that with that idea it's like 21, 27 is more like exploratory you know, exploratory, is that a word? Explor explorational. It's more uh, about exploring and then the 28 to 35 is more about action. But you know what? I actually think I was thinking about this like I was talking to housemates last night actually and we were talking about we were talking about how I was talking about how I can never sleep. I can never sleep with people. Or I have difficulty sleeping with another human in the bed. But then, I, but then, and I was trying to say like, oh, it's, you know, some, this is like indicating some like intimacy issue I have. But then I was like, I also just can't sleep in general by myself at night. This is kind of relevant to my year of rest and relaxation because as much as I, well, kind of, in a backhand way, because as much as I relate to this character wanting to sleep all the time, I'm actually in real life very insomniac. But yeah, maybe that's that's why she wants her sleeping pills too. Because you can't sleep when you when you feel like you haven't beyond whatever you know physiological stuff is going on. You can't you can't sleep like you know you like 
how do you sleep at night? You know, you can't sleep when you feel like you haven't done the thing you need to do for that day. Um, so yeah, we were talking about that. And then I was like, yeah, I think that's what... But then I was thinking about it more and I was like... I mean, I haven't been sleeping with any other humans for uh, a hot minute. So I was wondering if since that time, since I last attempted to sleep with, you know, in the proximity with another human, if that would still be the same, if I would still have that restlessness. Because I feel like whatever whatever my mid-20s have been or whatever this past couple years of rest and relaxation have been of this kind of frantic energy and this need to self-medicate and sedate myself. I feel like that's coincided with also this feeling that I think has been, I've noticed this feeling dying in me a little bit, which is like, it's sort of this expectation. I think like I often, like I do this thing where I look at people's like wiki bios and be like, okay, when did they fucking publish their first book? When did they do this? When did they do that? Oh, 27, 20, 28, you know, 20, 20. I had this idea in my head, like, oh, 20, by 27 or 28, like, this, this X, Y, and Z will have happened. And I just, and I think that's, so that, that idea often drove a lot of the frantic energy that made me both not be able to sleep with other humans and also just not be able to sleep in general, because it's like, it's like something that's like, the idea of like, just... Or I see, I see other people, I see couples, I see people who are, have jobs that they're satisfied with and they get back from work and they crack a beer and watch the game and crash out or, you know, have a night in with their partner, watch some Netflix. And I'm just like, how do you do that? What are you, what are you doing? What have you done that makes you feel so okay with yourself that you can just pass out and go to sleep? Like... But I realized that that frantic energy I have has to do with this kind of naive expectation of of things reaching some arrival point and then you break through. So, I, 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 as I was talking to my housemate last night about this, about my sleep stuff, like I was like, I wonder. Yeah, I, I don't think I. I think that idea has been dying. With with all you know what it is, all the debilitating. All the humility that I've gained. Okay, I'm in the back of Fresh Grocer right now. And they got this... This is like the semi... Is that noisy? I can't tell. I feel like this is a semi-truck port. There are literally no residential quiet areas right here. And, and all the roads are crammed together. So I guess these next, this next month or so of Philly pods or however long I'm around in Philly, there's going to be some noisy pods. This is what's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, just the humility of having your body break down and just fucking feeling like a piece of shit, you know? Like, like what in the fuck am I contributing to people, to the world, you know? Um, just being so broke that my fucking hospital bills get covered by other Americans, taxpayers. Like, that's, that's crazy, man. I mean, it's obviously amazing. It's amazing that we live in a country like that. But it's kind of, I, I, anyway. All that, all those, all those feelings make you feel like, dude, there's no fucking breakthrough point, dude. There's no arrival point. Um, so, yeah, maybe next time that I do try to sleep another human, or just uh, sleep in general. But at the same time, you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta grind. That's another idea I've been having. This is just freestyle riffing. I'm gonna get into the text, but um, yeah, I feel like that's another idea that I've been having. Where it's like you do have to do the work. You do have to. You have to. I feel like we gotta decide what our work is now. Um, if it doesn't fit in, if it does, if you are, you find yourself unable to to work in some structured way, in, in, within some structured system, um, which in my case been like, what kind of work have I done? Some service stuff, 
coffee making restaurants in the mid 20s, early 20s, mid 20s. It just felt like I just couldn't give my energy to that. So then just doing freelance uh, labor work, construction work, but bike delivery stuff. And then with this body breakdown of late, I find myself unable to do labor stuff. So if you can't, if you can't fit yourself into a system, especially now, I feel like you gotta decide, like, whatever kind of content you're putting out, you gotta decide that's your work, and you gotta do it, or whatever you gotta do to make you able to go to sleep. That is a, that is the most important thing. Anyway. The fuck, how the fuck did we get here? Um, my hands are going numb already. I don't know how I'm going to walk with this cane I got to walk. He's got this fucking fractured hip. Um, and look at my nose. But um, Yeah, it's interesting. This, I, this is one of the novels. The idea, the premise is so clear. And this is one of the things that was great about this book was... How she was able to to write in such a sustained, continually engaging, interesting way with this with this basic premise. That was my feeling that I had. Trash there, huh? Really gonna Alright, can't walk down this alley. But yeah, after you know I read the first chapter on Kindle. Um on like the Kindle preview when I copied the book. And uh, right away, you, you pretty much get all the aspects of the premise down. This girl is doesn't have a job, no financial constraints. Got this wacky therapist who's just prescribing her any drug she wants, and she's just zonking out. She got one friend, Riva. A college friend. She doesn't feel that connected to anymore, but they're still friends. Uh, works some type of Wall Street job. She comes by and says what's up to her every now and then. And uh, she's not, you know, the protagonist is not not a huge fan. Just, 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 just wants to block out the world, including this friend who's trying to help her. You know, she just kind of doesn't doesn't really want want any interaction with anybody. And then we also learn that she makes reference to her ex, her ex boyfriend-ish character, who she met when she was a freshman in undergrad, um, as like 19 or 20, and he was, I want to say, 32 or 33, um, 32 or 33. Uh, working some 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 Wall Street job and uh, pretty gnarly relationship. But um, all right, I'm gonna walk through Penn right now, even though I don't want to. This walnut is too fucking loud. So yeah, I'm gonna start going through my notes now. The f- the first the first uh, thing that caught my eye. I think this kind of relates to the last one of the quotes from the end of the Welbeck uh, book I talked about last week, where he said, uh, "Once, once you, once you give up on life, uh, the only, the only relationships you you have are with store shop owners." And um, basically, this character in my year of relaxation just lives in this apartment, just goes downstairs. Her whole thing is just going to the bodega on the corner and uh, copping two large coffees, uh, maybe some snacks, some parliament cigarettes, railing the first large coffee on the walk back to the apartment and then sipping the second coffee while she binge watches movies on her VCR. So so there's another element of it. It's Caffeination, sedation, screen time, block out the world. But just that element of going to the fucking bodega every day, um, I thought was funny. Apropos, you know, sad as it sounds, I feel like there are times when just my rhythm in Philly and when I go back to 
even go back to LA for a little bit visit the fam. Like the first thing I gotta do is scope out all the 24-hour gas stations and uh, fucking you know Rite Aids in the vicinity. So I know that I have somewhere to walk to at nighttime. It's fucked up. It's fucked up trying to get out of it. But I figure if I talk about it in the public forum, I'm be ashamed of it. So I won't want to continue it. But um, yeah, I don't have that many quotes from it. I was just railing through the. I was kind of just enamored by the way she was able to jump around. Cause that's so. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. The chronology of the actual. Of the of the main timeline, of the novel is not very long. It's like I want to say it's like less than a year. And it's just, um, or it's about a year, it's about, yeah, but, um, you know, it's like, we know, and what, you know, how much can happen with that premise? She gets, goes to her farmer, she goes to her therapist, she gets more drugs, she goes to sleep, she watches movies, and that's her life. So how do you write a novel out of that? The way Otessa Mashvik does it is she just... We gradually learn more and more about um, about her past, and we understand why, what the her life at the art gallery was like, why she quit, uh, what's the deal with her ex-boyfriend type character. Um, they're just tearing up this whole square in Penn on Walnut and Fortieth. I left town for a month, came back, and they're going in right here, so that's what the noise is. But, um, yeah, so it's a pretty impressive, it's a pretty impressive, just formal feat in terms of fiction writing. Just, just on the strength of how engaging this completely disaffected nihilistic voice um combining that with like the flashbacks woven in we moved through the whole novel and I mean I guess I had specific reasons for railing through it quickly but I railed through it quickly and I didn't want to stop reading it. I was walking places I was continuing to read it but um yeah so as a result I don't have that many quotes but we're gonna get into some of this stuff um Yeah, she's in the bodega, page seven. Walks by the whole wall of magazines. Didn't want to read more than newspaper headlines. <laughs> Steered clear of anything that might pique my intellect or make me envious or anxious. I kept my head down, so. Makes me envious or, ang or anxious. It also is sort of an, an implicit indictment on the intensity of like the New York the New York City vibe, specifically the New York City art world vibe, which <clears throat> I think I'm going to have to do a follow-up with a friend of mine who has been working in the New York City art world for the last few years. You know who you are. That will be coming up soon. I'll give her this book after this. But, um, Yeah, this is not a good time to podcast either, even though it is early, because I'm just walking like people going to work. Um, but, um, yeah, because she basically doesn't want to, just the element of envy of other people and anxiety is just heightened. Okay, that's not, that's not deep inside. Let's keep it rolling. Um, I was talking about uh, the idea of like the monotheistic versus polytheistic outlook in last week's episode about how we want that one thing to commit to, to to tell us how to live, and often how it ties to modern day self-help and and dieting trends can cause people to switch up immediately. As soon as a new thing comes along, and it's kind of, I feel like that's that that has to do with <clears throat> this impulse for 
the one thing to listen to. And, you know, Welbeck said that, like, monotheism, the more thing veers towards monotheism, uh, a, a religion, the more it veers towards mindlessness. And I was actually thinking that in the context of, I think I might have mentioned that last week, but yeah, it's, it's like the two-party system is, is that. And I think we're getting so many nuanced elements in between the two-party system now. That's that's an, that's another episode. But ba- basically, um, this passage made me think of that. Uh, page 18. Her friend Riva from Colombia, uh, from from when she went to college, um, was partial. Riva was partial to self-help books and workshops that usually combine some new dieting technique with professional development and romantic skills under the guise of teaching young women how to live up to their full potential, quote, end quote. Every few weeks she had a whole new paradigm for living and I had to hear about it. Um, yeah, so his character with... with it's kind of, definitely kind of a bummer. It's kind of sad. The character, the the dynamic between this protagonist and um, her friend Riva, and just the depiction of Riva is like. I mean, everyone's kind of painted as like ugly and self-absorbed and self-obsessed and neurotic and whatever. But yeah, she just. I don't know. The effect on it was kind of weird. It seemed like a hyperbole of every kind of sad element of, of I want to say women. That sounds fucked up. Because I was talking to a friend about this book, and he, I was like, had 50. I was talking to Nick. I had like 50 pages left, and he's like, "How's the book, you know, going?" And I was like. I said, uh, first I said, there's ice on the ground, dude. I said, it kind of made me feel, uh, kind of made me feel, well, it's good because I'm rounding through it, but it's kind of dark and it kind of, I was saying, like, it kind of made me feel misogynistic. But then I thought about it more and it kind of just made me feel misanthropic just towards people in general because the depiction of men mainly Trevor is like really gnarly too and uh but I was thinking about why I said that and I think it's like the Reaver character is just like I don't know let's keep going um well it's just sad I feel like there's something sad about the type of character who She's just trying to live this fancy New York lifestyle so desperately, and you know. But she also has an eating disorder. There's just such a disdain for the protagonist. I don't think it mentions her name. That's why I keep saying the protagonist talks about her friend, or she just, you know. I don't know, we'll have to keep going, because maybe what made me feel misanthropic about it was that it was just it was just kind of a bummer, but maybe it was hitting close to home, I don't know. Anyway, um, so yeah, I was trying to, early on, I was trying to figure out what, what made her uh, get so bummed out and want to take all these drugs and sleep for a whole year. Um, but, you know, early on, Reva's coming over and she's, you know, pulling up, you know, dolled up for the club, ready to go out. She's like, come on, girl, let's go out. And the protagonist's like, no, I'm not leaving my house. I got fucking four Ambien, three Zannies. I'm about to just pass out. Um, but early on, she's making all these efforts to get her out. And page, thir- page 39, page 20, sorry. She's like, at least, and Reva's like, at least I'm making an effort to change and go after what I want. Reva said, besides sleeping, what do you want in life? And then uh, she goes, I wanted to be an artist, but I had no talent, I told her. I think that's why I marked it up. I was like, oh, that's why she's bummed because you want to be an artist. Um, and then Reva goes, do you really need talent? And then it goes, that 
that might have been the smartest thing Reva ever said to me. But then, yes, italicized, I replied. So, I think maybe that's the bummer. Getting out of college and wanting to be an artist and working at this art gallery. And it's interesting because there's definitely like the, the protagonist character. I think this is also why... Okay, let me not get going too many threads. Well, maybe so. First, to finish that thread, the you know protagonist character getting out of college and uh, wanting to get into you know be an artist, but then seeing how um, superficial and sort of absurd the the art world was, and how driven it was by sort of just a type of sensationalism and like this like the main artist this guy Ping 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 Z P-I-N-G-X-I and it said uh Ping Z's work first page 46 first appeared at Ducat the gallery she works at as part of a group show called quote Body of Substance and it consisted of splatter paintings a la Jackson Pollock made from his own ejaculate he claimed that he'd stuck a tiny pellet of powder-colored pigment into the tip of his penis and masturbated onto a huge canvas. And then the funny part is, uh, as as uh, the main character starts to just kind of go off the rails, starts sedating herself, because she starts taking the, the sleeping meds, I think while she's still working there, she starts taking naps in this closet in the back and just getting getting more and more disheveled, which is... That part of the re- the main reason why she got hired is she describes herself. The character describes herself as like look as like blonde and looking like a model. People always comparing her to uh, and kind of effortlessly fashionable and people always comparing her to like uh, looking Kate Moss and shit, you know. Um, but uh, basically, she starts to just neglect her duties as that blasé pretty girl who sits at the desk and evades all your questions when you roll up to the art gallery, the fancy art gallery. And, uh, you know, she's she's napping, so she's not watching the watching over the art. And it goes, when a homeless woman set herself up in the back room one afternoon, Natasha, uh, her boss, Natasha, found out. I had no idea how long the woman had been there. Maybe people thought she was part of the artwork. I ended up paying her 50 bucks out of petty cash to leave. Um, so it's like, you know, there's all kinds of descriptions of the different artworks and just, I mean, that, that part's funny. It's a little, yeah, it's like kind of, you know, just whatever. It's like a satire of modern art. But I'm not really... I was going to transcribe a bunch of those examples, but um, I think part of it is just like depicting... I guess there's the ejaculate paintings. I want to say there's another type of painting that was like... or another type of artwork that was just like... like, you know, performance art of like trash in the, in the art galleries and the homeless lady. Just cracking this ice. This is wild. Uh, homeless lady posted up uh, that could have just been, you know, part of the artwork is like a, you know, the joke. But, um, what was I gonna say? Oh, yeah, the fact that the protagonist is clearly distinct from what little I know about Tessa Moshfake herself. Um, Yeah, I think I was touching on this last week with the with the Welbeck, um, the Welbeck novel, where he was he was quoting this part in the Agatha Christie Agatha Christie novel, the 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 main character in in Platform by by Michelle Welbeck that I talked about last week reads, and there's a part in the Agatha. This is confusing because I'm talking about the book last week and then the book he reads in the book last week, but I hope it's not too confusing. But um, there's a part where I was talking about how um, the epiphany the character has while reading Agatha Christie, which which seems like a statement that Welbeck's making about about writing, 
is um, so he's reading the Agatha Christie novel and there's a character in the Agatha Christie novel he's reading that's sort of explicitly an artist and uh, and kind of talks about uh, the challenges of art making the, um, but but uh, the simultaneous um, I can't even remember exactly what 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 the struggles were of the artist in the novel, but the point was, the epiphany was that if you're creating an artwork and you know writing a novel, say, and you write about a character that is explicitly an artist, so basically writing about yourself, you know, your own experience in the novel. Um, you know, in semi-fictionalized form. If it's too close to yourself, if you're writing about a fi you know in a fictional way or whatever, you're writing even if you know, and it, the character's too close to yourself, the clarity of the character. There's an emotional element to that. You know, you're going in maybe like a Nausgaard project. You're going in. Um, you're writing about about your struggles with writing and a lot of the podcasts that I've talked about in a lot of in a lot of the podcasts that I've talked about today I'm really kind of been really excited by this autofiction idea and going in writing about your your real struggles with writing in the writing but Welbeck makes the case that if you're too close to to the writer is too close to the character they're writing about the character loses a sense of clarity uh, even if it's more emotionally uh, urgent. So in other words, that, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, the, and that makes sense, you know, you write a character, if you're writing about a character that's distinctly not you, you can, your descriptions will be more clear, the world, the spatial world you create will be more, um, precise and then that translates for the reader as like a, a clearly formed distinct character that's moving through space in a in a more objective way um, basically so basically with this book I think that's why I didn't Hey, so yeah, so I, I've been feeling, that I've been, I've been kind of feeling a push towards that. Well, let me finish that thread. I think that's why I didn't have that much marginalia in this book because the character is so obviously, well, well, it's not so obviously not a Tessa Moshfeg because one can imagine any, one can imagine that this is a hyperbole of a state. This is an exaggerated form of a state one could fall in into as a, you know, I think Otessa Moshevik has a few books out, probably, you know, obviously there's something about this narrative that she feels or else she wouldn't write about it, of this desire to sedate oneself and, and kind of block out the world. But the characteristic, the character, the characteristics of the protagonist being blonde and and like looking like a model and kind of superficial. I don't know. It's like a distinct character, which who who in themselves is part of the satire of the book. So whatever she's saying, whatever viewpoint she's espousing, I don't take at face value. So I'm forced to look at every aspect of her character. Of all the characters, there's no, there's no, I character. Like when you read Nausgaard and he goes on, which I'm also reading now, or reading some if people are familiar with Nausgaard, reading somebody, in a, who's speaking from a more. Who's speaking from a more non-fictional or auto-fictional lens, namely just like this is me talking. You can take whatever they're saying at face value. Whereas, anyway, does that, make, does that make sense? Anyway, fuck, that was, I hope that wasn't a completely pointless digression that, that didn't make any sense. But I guess I've just been feeling that way in general. And I've been feeling, this is tied to whatever I was saying earlier about whether there's some like major age 28 
ship coming and I've just been feeling a little bit like everything I've written everything that I've written so far since finishing school or since school or back dating back to school has kind of gone more and more in this direction of writing almost non-fictionally or like unabashedly non-fictionally or auto-fictionally or auto, you know drawing directly because you know the whole idea is like oh it's so silly how writers try to craft these characters and these you know these detail you know to try to hide these hide what that they're just talking about their real life because of course they're just talking about their real life this is i know it's a classic debate that's kind of going on now of like fiction versus whatever autobiography but you know there's something silly about those themes about those novels you're writing the story i want to write about that memory but i don't want it to be obvious that this is what i'm writing about so instead of a writer i'm gonna make him uh you know filmmaker or a detective and I'm gonna make these set it in a place whatever you know all these hoops you jump through to try to make it fictionalized I think everything that I've been working on till now has kind of been a rejection of that and the idea is that if you're living a interesting life you're pushing yourself to continually be exploring and traveling then you can write about your life as your life and create some more accessible product for a reader. Is the idea? I don't know why I call the writing a product, but a, you know, accessible template for the reader. It, there seems something you know, that's that's the excitement of the auto fiction, auto fiction wave. But I guess the more I've been thinking about it, it's like I don't know. Everything that I've written has felt like that. And then over the past couple, like this past month or so, I don't know. I've been feeling like there's more validity to creating a character that's detached from you. Anyway, I gotta go to my dentist appointment in 10 minutes. And I just rambled a long time. You know, I touched on that. Hopefully, I'll do some some episodes with other people and be able to talk about it uh, with somebody else more. Um, And, because I don't really know what I think about it, but um, I guess the point is when it's a character that's clearly detached from the author um, in line with like the mono versus polytheistic idea you can't just listen to the author either, or even the main protagonist the speaking protagonist as a reader you can't decipher what the point is by listening to whatever the, the protagonist is saying like you can when it's a when it's an autofiction now starts saying this is what I think about art that's what he thinks about art and you can decide you can listen to it or you can acknowledge it but if it's a character and they're interacting with other characters you just like with a polytheistic religious outlook where you there's no one god telling you what the truth is you have to as a reader have to sort of read between the lines and figure out what the point is or maybe there is no point and you're just sort of so that seems, you know, that's what, that's why this book was so interesting because just how flawed the main character is, you know, and she's like shitting on her friend Riva and sometimes you're like, damn, yeah, Riva's pretty washed. Well, I don't know why she's so, she's pandering to these people so much, but then you're also like, you can't trust the main narrator either because she's totally fucked up and fanned out and shit also. So anyway, that's, I'm going to stop rambling with that. I think it's, that's all I'll say with that. Um, Ten more minutes of the silk bench right quick. Um, There's this one long ice passage that I thought was pretty funny, slash, um, sort of an example, actually, what I was talking about, but, um, so she's got this relationship with this old-ass dude, Trevor, that's pretty, that's pretty suspect, you know, she's super young when she met him, you know, he hits her up for sex, 
then he gets over it, kicks her out, doesn't talk to her for weeks, tries to date someone his own age, and then, um, and then, uh, hits her, you know, and she's, and hits her up, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty sus, like, for example, I'm 39, she asks, she goes, I asked, I just wrote LOL here, I don't know, I asked Trevor once, so yeah, it's also why she's, so, you know, she's so bummed out and needs to, um, needs to black out for a year and come back with a, with a clean slate, she asked, you know, looking at how gnarly her relationship was that she's trying to get past, but uh, she goes, I asked Trevor once, if you could only have blowjobs or only intercourse cords for the rest of your life, which one would you choose? Blowjobs, he answered. That's kind of gay, isn't it? I said, to be more interested in mouths than pussies? He didn't speak to me for weeks. Okay, that actually wasn't the quote I was going to read. I just thought that was a fucking savage line. Oh yeah, and he talks about 41, 42. Trevor had never wanted to kneel, quote, kneel at the altar. Uh, I could count the number of times he'd gone down on me on one hand. When he tried, he'd had no idea what to do, but seemed overcome with his own generosity and passion, as though delaying getting his dick sucked was so obscene, so reckless, had required so much courage, he'd just blown his own mind. Um, so yeah, like, Trevor's, this ex Trevor is pretty gnarly. There's this really fucking um, funny long passage where the main character's just shitting on what I would call just like the alt bro, you know, like the sensitive bro. Um, here, I'll explain. I just thought this was pretty spot on. Slash, half of the things seem to be direct shots at me, but actually are not because I know myself. But it, but topically, they literally were. Here, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll read it. Um, she goes, that specific brand of young male, an alternative to mainstream frat and pre-med straight and narrow guys. These scholarly, charmless, intellectual brats dominated the more creative departments. As an art history major, I couldn't escape them. Quote, dudes reading Nietzsche on the subway, reading P Proust, reading David Foster Wallace. I don't know why she has to call it those three writers. Those, those three lit writers pretty much on a just unquestioned. Anyway, <laughs> jotting down their brilliant thoughts into a black moleskin pocket notebook. Okay, those are good notebooks, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they hold up well, they fit in the pockets. Um, anyway, beer bellies and skinny legs, zip-up hoodies, navy blue peacoats or army green parkas. My fucking parka that I'm wearing is literally army green. Uh, New Balance sneakers. I like those are good sneakers. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's a light sneaker. It's a good lifestyle sneaker. Knit hats, canvas tote bags, small hands, hairy knuckles, maybe a deer head tattooed across a flabby bicep. The worst was that those guys tried to pass off their insecurity as quote sensitivity, and it worked. They would be the ones running museums and magazines, and they'd only hire me if they thought I might fuck them. But I'd been at parties with them, or out at bars. They'd ignored me. They were so self-serious and distracted by their conversation with their look-alike companions that you'd think they, they were wrestling with a decision of such high stakes the world might explode. They wouldn't be distracted by, quote, pussy, they would have you believe. They would have me believe. The truth was probably that they were just afraid of vaginas, afraid they'd fail to understand one as pretty and pink as mine. And they were ashamed of their own sensual inadequacies, afraid of their own dicks, afraid of themselves. So they focused on abstract ideas and developed drinking problems to blot out their self, the self-loathing they preferred to call, quote, existential ennui. And then, I gotta go to my dentist appointment, but, and then she goes, at least Trevor had the sincere arrogance to brack up his bravado. He didn't cower in the face of his own ambition like those hipsters. And he knew how to manipulate me. I had to respect him for that, at least, however much I hated him. I just think that was fucking spot on, like, I don't know, as much as, whatever. I know she's, it's just like this 25, 26 year old person ranting, but I don't know, it's just like, you can't categorically sidestep whatever, um, whatever aspects of, of masculinity that 
are looked down, are 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 look possibly re- looked down upon by culture, and possibly rightly so, right now, by purporting to be like some sensitive bro by this character, you know, and that's that's the end. And you're also just, and then I, I don't know, I just thought that was interesting. It's like, it's like there's as much of an ambition and as much of a, you know, predatory element to those type of characters, regardless of how it's your posture. And maybe it's more dangerous because they're in denial of that fact. Um, not that Trevor, the Trevor character is good at all. Um, but, uh, it's 7.59, I got to this point, I, I might wrap it up, um, well, that's kind of all my quotes, anyway, until next week, or I might come back to this in a second, alright, alright, so it's 4am on, uh, Thursday, next day, I just thought I'd finish up, I didn't really feel like I finished up the thread of the last episode, um, of the last recording because I had to go to the dentist appointment but um, yeah I guess I'm still not out of whatever mode I'm trying to renounce having read this book and trying to move move on my life because after my dentist appointment I just slept for fucking over 12 hours anyway um, I wanted to return to the first question just to put it tie, tie up this thread of I think I talked about why the character, the main character is in the position of feeling like she needs to sedate herself and what led to that condition but the question of whether she makes it out or not I didn't really touch upon Um, so I was at as she keeps ramping up her drug intake, getting on more and more stronger drugs, you know, she's like on Zans and Ambien and a bunch of other drugs I didn't recognize. But then things get crazy when she takes this one drug called Infermital, I think it is. She has these blackouts and she, she'll she take it and then she'll wake up two days later and like, there's like, you know, a bunch of Chinese food she ordered, she doesn't remember ordering, she's got new shoes on, she's got a stamp for a nightclub she went to, she doesn't remember going to, um, when she makes the transition into that drug, she's unable to take the initial drugs, um, they don't work anymore, so, but the idea that she has is that if she sleeps for long enough, and gets rid of all her belongings and kind of restarts then she can just sleep 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 and then wake up kind of refresh and sort of start over that's her whole idea so she gets a shitload of that that infirmatol drug and uh um eventually basically yeah when the breakdown happens okay so there's a breakdown and then she decides to really go and fully sleep and then come out of it anew the breakdown happens when her fucking vcr breaks because <laughs> that's how she's getting by she's like so tied to watching them re-watching these movies all these late 90s movies that's kind of funny element of it but she go to cvs to get her prescription or rite aid to get her prescription and she just copied the new the new vc uh, the new vhs's all the time but once once her VCR breaks around two, page 250 or so, she starts panicking. She starts calling Trevor over and over again, trying to get him to come by. Like She goes, this is one interesting line that gets the dynamic of her and Trevor. She leaves. She's leaving voicemails, and she's like, I'm sick and can't leave my apartment. Can you buy me a, a new VCR or bring it over? This is to Trevor. I really need it. I'm on all this medication. I can barely make it to the corner. I can't hardly get out of bed. And then it goes, I know. I knew Trevor. He couldn't resist me when I was weak. That was the most fascinating, fascinating irony about him. Most men were turned off by neediness, but in Trevor, lust and pity went hand in hand. So that's that's just that's not a good vibe, you know. 
it's not a good relationship, but, but, um, so that's when she has a breakdown, she kind of panics, um, but then she gets a, I think he ends up, he does end up coming by, I gotta go inside, I don't want to lose, it's recorded outside, but it's six fucking degrees out right now, six degrees, are you kidding me, um, but, um, he does come by, but he just gives her, like, a, a DVD player, even though she doesn't watch TV, just to be a dick, but, so, like, I can relate to that, that's when the breakdown happens, and all the things you've been relying on stop working, you know, um, but then, what's interesting is, she, now she just gets a shitload of heat from and she basically sets it up where she gives away all her belongings. She tells Riva, she gives Riva all her clothes. She gets rid of all her belongings. Her, her apartment is just, just empty. And she tells Riva she's gonna go. She's she's gonna she's gonna go on. A, she kind of lies to her. Just says she's gonna go to like uh, rehab or she's gonna be gone until June of 2001. Um, and this is like in January or March or February or something. So she's like, I'm gonna be gone for a bunch of months. And she actually sets it up with Ping, Ping Z. I don't wanna give away too much of the ending, but she sets it up where she puts an, basically locks herself in her apartment. So, because she knows she's gonna black out on the infirmatol. And has, yeah, I'll just say, has someone come by, oh, it's Ping Z. She has Ping Z come by. And give her f to give her food every three days. She knows she's gonna wake up every three days, and um, you know, drop off a pizza every three days. And she just sets up the system where she puts a mattress on her floor and she sleeps. Gets up every three days, eats some pizza, does her laundry, goes back to sleep. And she does that for fucking five months. And the crazy thing is, it to an extent, it kind of works because. Once she's done with that, she, like, the first time she tries to go outside after sleeping for five months, she can barely even, like, she, like, passes out because she's, like, not strong enough. Um, but then she gradually builds up strength and she goes outside. And the message at the end, I don't want to give away what happens right at the very end. Um, but I'll just say it happens, it has to do with something that happened in the year 2001. Um... And, uh, the message is kind of like, you know, you gotta go outside and you gotta face the day. You gotta face the day, you gotta face the sun, you gotta take in that vitamin D. And, uh, and, uh, sometimes it takes, it takes a breakdown of your patterns to get to that point. But you can't get to that point. Um... Which I thought was a good message. I mean, I think that's 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 kind of where I'm at. I feel like I'm in the breakdown mode right now, and trying to trying to relearn how to be a daytime person. I didn't do it yesterday, but I got some I got some morning rays in yesterday. But and it's supposed to be sunny in the morning today, even though it's gonna be fucking freezing. So yeah, just I don't know. That's kind of how it ends. She does make it out. She does make it out. Um, after sleeping for fucking months, so, yeah, um, yeah, there's, the last quote is around 350 that I wrote down, I'm not sure if it totally relates, but I'll just read it, um, and she's kind of taking shots at all the, all the, all the modern day painters, that are, she sees as sort of, in modern day artists, that she seems as sort of self-absorbed. And this might tie to the whole idea of writing from a pure auto, autobiographical point versus trying to like make characters, like I was saying earlier with the whole mono versus polytheistic outlook. I hope that makes sense. I don't want to get back into that rant because it took me so long to try to explain that. But she goes, uh, Picasso was right to start painting the dreary and dejected. Picasso is kind of a recurring thing in, in, in that book. But, the blues. He looked out the window at his own misery. I, he looked out the window at his own misery. I could respect that. But these painters of fruit, she's talking about these, these painters of modern day painters, just like, you know, paint, you know, 
painting the, the bowl of fruit over and over again. Um, they only thought about their own mortality, as though the beauty of their work, shit, as though the beauty of their work would somehow soothe their fear of death. There they all were, hanging feckless and candid and meaningless, paintings of things, objects, withering toward their own in inevitable de demise. Um, I don't know, maybe that is their breakthrough, like, so, yeah, it's like not enough, it's not enough to just try to create beauty to soothe your own fear of mortality, you know, you gotta look out the window. You gotta look at the window at your own misery. Look at the window. Look outside. Other people at the sunlight. Anyway, kind of a corny end, but that's how I'm gonna wrap this John up. Um, I recommend this book. I fucked with it. I fucked with it. She, I, I, I probably get into some of her other books too. I mean, yeah. I mean, even just formally, it was like it made me feel like. It made me hone in, rein in the range of what one can write compellingly about for, for the duration of the novel. You actually don't need that many characters. You don't need that big of a span of time to write about, to write compellingly, because you can always go into more of the minutiae and that actually creates a more vast feeling landscape, fictional landscape, even if, um, you're not covering that much time in the linear, in the chronology of the main story, you know? Anyway, um, not sure what we're going to do next week, but I'm going to be here next week, next Thursday, another episode. Hope everyone's, uh, fucking weathering this jan late January <sighs> conditions, cold conditions, and, uh, yeah, signing out, gang.